grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. I guess my mind got too open. I'm trying to find, I, I have several of these, sorry guys, I have several of these things in my stock area, and obviously that's not the one, I, 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 I got to figure this out, this is driving me insane. Anyway, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, my name is Charlotte, I am the host of the California Haunts Paranormal Radio Show, I guess I get old, messed up today. Um, I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento, California, we are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you might have, have, if you might think you have a paranormal thing going on in your house or business, we can get you. It might take us a while because California is a huge state, but we will get you. And in the meantime, uh, if we can't get you right away, we have people on staff who can, can kind of help you by phone, talk to you about what's going on, maybe in, in, in some cases settle things down for you. So uh, that's one of the options we have. Okay, that being said, again, my name is Charlotte. We are broadcasting today via uh, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, and TikTok. So we're going, out, we're, we're beaming out everywhere, right? Anyway, my guest today is uh, coming in to talk about something that I'm fascinated with, and that's cults. Um, there have been so many stories of cults, like the Branch, like the Branch Davidians, and people, and, and groups like that. And he's done a lot of research. He's got a book out on the subject. His name is Jim Willis, and uh, I think it's better if he tells you about himself, because you know how I am. And, uh, yeah, I think you're going to enjoy the show. So, again, if you're watching from Facebook today and uh, you haven't done so already, be sure to like and share the and share the page, as well as, if you haven't done so already, follow. Follow me, because we're, looking for, we're always looking for followers, and, and, the, and the more likes you give us, it puts us up in the algorithm where people see us, we get more followers, yada, yada, yada. Just like with YouTube, same thing. There's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner. Oh, look, at my finger. Oh, there it is. Okay. There's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner. And that, and that ghost allows you to subscribe to our videos. We have 581 videos sitting over there. And they're all on different topics. I am a journalist, photojournalist. I don't like staying on the same topic all the time. So I love to do stuff like what we're doing tonight. Just change it up a bit. Like this week is going to be one of those hodgepodge weeks too, as well. So if, if, if you get on there, you like what you see, share it with friends and family, you know, tell them about us and uh, hit that little ghost and that'll subscribe you. And what that does is it'll alert you to when we're going to have a new video out or if we have new material out on the community page. All right. Does that sound good to you? Okay. So now that I'm done yakking, oh, I have one more thing to advertise. Before I forget, I am to, I'm going to be teaching a class on protection. That's going to be on May 6th at 7 p.m. Pacific. And you can get information for that at the California Haunts Paranormal Meetup. And that's where the information and where you sign up. $15 a person. And I'm going to be teaching major protection stuff. I've, I've done all this research. And you should see the stuff that's out there. And I've talked to friends about this stuff. So I know I, I know it's what's being used out in the industry, blah, blah, blah. So this is a good class for you if you if you want to protect your you know like your, your yourself your, your your spouse your family your house even your pets. I'm going to do protection for pets because as a ghost hunter and being out in the field, there's always that fear that some negative energy is going to beat me home or follow me home and then go after my dogs and my cats. So I'm going to teach you ways to protect your animals. Okay, so with that being said. I'm going, to bring Jim, I'm going to bring Jim in, and he can tell you about himself. Okay? Here we go. Thank you. Appreciate Hello. it. Uh, you How know, are with, you, sir? With, with, that, uh, with that introduction, I have to, I have to resort to some uh, basic commercialism because it reminded me so much of a book that I wrote a couple of years ago called The Quantum Akashic Field, A Guide to Out-of-Body Experience for the Astral Traveler. And uh, in the book, I talk a lot about dowsing for earth energies and things like that. So it fit right in with that wonderful introduction, and I appreciate it. There you go. There you go. Tell me about you, sir. 
Well, I was a Christian minister for, well, I still am, I guess. I have the reverend in front of my name, although I haven't been in a church for 15 years. Mm -hmm. But uh, I um, retired to the woods of South Carolina. I'm 3,000 miles away from you on the other side of the continent. But I did it for a specific reason. You know, most of us, when you, when you go to seminary like I did when I was in my early, early 20s, most of us had the idea that you're going to grow up in a spiritual community where everybody is asking the right questions. Who are we? Where do we come from? What's it all about? And uh, in that community, you think you're going to grow and spend the rest of your life. And it doesn't work that way, I'm, I'm afraid. When you become a pastor of a church, you're the CEO of a small corporation, uh, especially independent uh, churches, the denomination that I belong to rep um, recognizes uh, total church autonomy. So each church makes its own decisions and all this kind of thing. But you get there and you're busy always planning. You're talking about the next sermon, the next church service, the next this, the next that. And I was a college professor, so it was always the next lecture series or sure. what are you going to be talking about and all this kind of stuff. And pretty soon, then 40 years just pops by and, and you say, wait a minute, what's happened? Um, none of the stuff that I came in here for, I've had time. I, I've, I've been so busy talking about spirit or uh, in church circles, the word God, or I, the term that I prefer, the word source. I'm so busy talking about it that I haven't really had a chance to experience it, especially today when our lives are so fast and so noisy and we're, we just get going. So I, when I retired, it, it, I could have just said, sure, what I want to do is just retire and relax and maybe, you know, become a supply preacher and fill in for ministers who need someone on a Sunday morning or something like that. But it just, um, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to experience the holy. I wanted to experience a spirit. And so I moved up to the woods of South Carolina, built myself a little house, and which I live in today. I was going to stay there for one year and go on a spiritual retreat for one year. That was uh, more than 15 years ago, and I'm still here. And I had a, I even had a, a, a Bible verse in mind, uh, it, taken from the book of Genesis, when uh, the story when Jacob and Esau are fighting with each other, and Esau has uh, vowed to kill his brother, and Jacob has to flee for his life. And finally, years later, they're both older, wiser. Jacob comes back and he wants to meet his brother Esau and see if they can reconcile. But it, it's he's on one side of the river. Uh, Jacob Esau is on the other side of the river. And he's doing what we all do at night when we're worried and when we're wondering what's going to happen. He was pacing back and forth. And the Bible says this strange thing. He said says that uh, Jacob saw a man and wrestled with him until daybreak. Of course, that's just what you do when you meet a stranger, you wrestle, right? Well, that's what Jacob did. And sure enough, when daybreak came, uh, he realized that he was wrestling with God. And he said the words, I will not let you go until you bless me. What a powerful metaphor that is. Wrestling with spirit, wrestling with the unknown, wrestling with source, wrestling with God. So that's what I did. I came up here with that Bible verse on my mind. I will not let you go until you bless me. And I was kind of affirmed in that because it's a strange verse to have in your mind when you retire from ministry. But I was confirmed by some, by, in that by something that happened years later. Uh, quite a few years ago now, I was asked to go to Cornwall in the UK to um, give a, a, a talk about the roots of world religion. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I was there, I had a wonderful, wonderful talk with a bunch of great people down in Cornwall, but I couldn't leave England without uh, visiting a little town called Fenny Compton, which is up northwest of London. And I had to visit there because that's where my ancestors came from. They were ministers in the Church of England, and they preached in this little stone church in Fenny Compton. It still stood there. Uh, and I don't know how many generations ago it was, you know, great, 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 great grandfather or whatever. But at any rate, um, I made the, the uh, uh, 
connections up there with a local historian. And she met me outside the church in the morning and she let me into the church and I was able to stand in the pulpit where my ancestor preached and look at the same church that he looked at and look at the same stained glass windows that he looked at. And one of the stained glass windows that he saw every Sunday when he was up there was something that I've never seen depicted in a stained glass window before. It was a picture of Jacob wrestling with God saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. I have no doubt that somehow that long lost relative of mine managed to pass some spiritual DNA down to me because that was the verse that was on my mind when I came out here to South Carolina. And uh, lo and behold, um, my prayer was answered. Uh, I met the source. I met the spirit that I was striving to to understand my whole life. It didn't come to me through Christianity. It came through um, pagan shamanism, actually. Uh, it was right there in nature all along. And uh, through that, I started, for some reason, I, don't, I still don't know why to this day, I started uh, dowsing and I discovered earth energies and I discovered the ability to be able to even douse for, for spirits. And I've had a couple of occasions where people have asked me to come into a house where something weird was happening. And I would sit down there and, and talk with them and go in with my dowsing rods. And uh, in, in some cases, just have some wonderful, wonderful experiences. But then having gone through this, which is a real change, I, I made the mistake of starting to write books about it. And uh, 20 books later, here I am. Uh, and I'm out here in the, the woods in South Carolina, still writing books and taking place in all of this uh, magical stuff, like being able to put on a set of headphones and talk into a microphone to someone who's 3,000 miles away. Yeah, yeah. It still blow, blows me right, right away. But at any rate, um, one of the, uh, the books that I uh, wrote was, the one of the first ones I wrote was a book called The Religion Book, which led to a book about Armageddon, which led to a publisher calling me up and saying, we want a book on cults. Now, it's not something that I would have sat down and probably written if I'd had my chance, because, it, boy, you have to dive into some pretty deep and muddy waters when you're talking about some of these American cults, uh, cults all over the world, but there are so many of them around the world that we had to limit it to American cults. And uh, so while I was writing American cults, uh, lo and behold, uh, it seems like when I write about something here, the news is full of it. And now we've got, uh, for some reason, my, my my daughter was telling me the other day, she was watching, uh, she watches this one series on television and she was made five different times over the course of a couple of weeks in shows that she watched. They were about they were cop shows about people who were caught in cults. Yeah. And uh, of course, my whole life being in the church, so many cults have split off from Christianity that mm -hmm. I was very familiar with it. I was part of the um, oh the movement back in the seventies, was it when uh, Jim Jones and Jim Baker and Jim Swagger, it kind of bothered me all those ministers named Jim, right. but uh, <laughs> at any rate, it it, uh, it just seemed to write itself. So in one sense, it was kind of a labor of love. I was able to take 40 years, basically, of research and put it between the covers of a book. But in another sense, I'm not sure I've recovered from writing about it yet. It, it It's just so sad, and it's a part of so many people's lives. And then, of course, since the book came out and talking to people such as yourself, mm -hmm. uh, I've been contacted by a lot of people who, whose lives have just been uh, absolutely transformed because they were involved in a cult. Most of the ones who contact me are have they found a way to get out of it. But uh, it's it's only going to get worse, I'm afraid, because we are in a a nation, uh, the United States, which is just really susceptible to the uh, methodologies of a cult, which I think we'll probably be talking about in a little bit. Why do people gravitate towards cults? Yeah, yeah, that's the serious question, isn't it? We all like to think that, uh, well, I would never do that. But unfortunately, the studies that have been done show that it's not a matter of who you are, it's where you are in your life when it, when you, when you, when you become susceptible. Um, a person gravitates to a cult usually because they are feeling alone, they are feeling neglected, they are feeling unwanted, they are feeling unloved. 
and in these last three years with um, the, the COVID crackdown and everything else, more and more people have been spending time by themselves, alone in the house, set with their computer. And uh, here on the computer, all of a sudden, you find somebody who has an interest that's similar to yours. And so you get deeper involved in it and deeper involved in it. And, and pretty soon you find either online or in most cases in, in, in cults, at least in the historical past, most cases people um, visit and they discover something that is missing in their life. They discover um, a kind of a family, a welcoming group. Uh, you get out of your car in the parking lot of, say, a hotel or something like that, where the group is this group is having a meeting for the weekend, and uh, uh, maybe a friend invites you to go with them or something like that. And so you do, and you go in, and immediately out in the parking lot, there you got people shaking your hand and saying, "Welcome, we're so glad to have you." And you go into the the uh, the meeting area in perhaps uh, this big um, uh, hotel or Maybe it's a church or something like that or somebody's house. But you got to find welcoming people who, who are there to shake your hand and make you feel needed, make you feel wanted, make you feel loved. And then they start the pitch. Somebody, the music is pumping and people are dancing and going through all this stuff and everything else. And it's really exciting. And you start to all of a sudden say, wow, where have you guys been all my life? You know, I'm, I feel welcome here. This is like family. And so you... You listen, and this, the testimony starts. Somebody stands up and says, oh, oh I, I owed $5 to my name, and then I bought this starting packet, and now I've got a pink Cadillac or something like that. you know. Okay. And, and you hear all these stories, and you say, this is fantastic. And then the talented talker gets up in front, and he starts saying, Wow, you know this is this can change your life, and of course, it usually costs some money. You know, you either have to donate or buy something or something like that. And eventually, you're when the weekend is over, you go home and you say, "Wow, this is fantastic!" And so you start putting it to use, and nothing happens. You get right back into your old ways again. So you go back to the next meeting, and there they tell you, "Well, the problem is." Uh, probably the family or the friends that you have, they're holding you back because they don't understand things the way you do, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So they gradually wean you away from your family and pretty soon the cult is your life. What bothers me about this whole system is that I was a church pastor for 40 years and without realizing it, I even use some of these same techniques. I encourage my people, when they come in the door, shake their hands, sit with them, make them feel welcome, go to coffee hour, talk, you know, and and peop, and I would I would be the talented talker who would give the message, you know, the this can change your life and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, people all of a sudden found a, um, a family and, and uh, I didn't mean to, I, I didn't want to use those kind of methodologies. I just didn't know any better because that's how it's done. And unfortunately that's happening in just literally every walk of life in America today. When you say, why do people join cults? How, do, how does it happen? That's why they're looking for something that is missing. That's why it's so hard to get people out of cults. Because when you have a good friend or a family member who's involved in this cult, you go to them and you, you try to use facts, you know, and this isn't true or that isn't true. Mm -hmm. when you, even if you pull them out, you're taking them away from something, but you're not adding some, you're not adding that thing that they went to the cult for in the first place. So I would love to say that cults are a thing of the past, but I'm afraid it's only getting worse. I really am. A lot of it is, of course, the social media. The computer makes it easier. And uh, and, and you can meet people who you would never have known about before. And now all of a sudden, boom, they're part of your, they're part of your life. And you gradually get sucked in and sucked in deeper and deeper until you find yourself in this situation. It's, it's, a, it's a, rough, a rough road. Well, let's talk about um, some of these cults. I mean, yeah. What about Scientology? How do you feel about that? Well, I've I've found that, um, especially having. I mean, I had to name some some of these sure. groups in in the book, and I found that since the book came out, I I really don't like to put a label of a cult on something, mm -hmm. um, because. 
cults are not all, you know, consisting of a bunch of bad people out to get right. you. There are a lot of people who are, have, have found great value. A lot of people call Scientology a cult. Tom Cruise, for one. Uh, I mean, call it a, a, a life-affirming thing, but there are a lot of people who have left Scientology and who call it a cult. So all I can say is if you're ever involved in, in a, a cult, for instance, Scientology or uh, any kind of a any kind of a movement, whether it's a Christian church or an economic um, um, how-to thing, or whether it's a political party or anything like that, when you find those things beginning to happen, um, and you you look around and you say something isn't right, listen to your heart, uh, because only you will know for sure. So when you say is Scientology a cult, I'm not going to call it a cult, but I will say that. In Scientology, there are probably um, the the possibility of forming cults, just like there is in uh, basically any religion or anything like that. Too, the possibilities are there, and we have to take over our own lives. Have to take over the reins of our own life. Otherwise, we're we're going to be caught up in it, and a lot of people are. And it's sad because not all of the cults and 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 badly, as they say, you know, you know, yeah. They're, yeah. they're not all the branch davidians they're not jim jones out there yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a saying in uh in in theology uh being a theologian all my life we used to say that cult plus time equals religion um a lot of groups that were called cults at the beginning um are now certified religion christianity is called by many theologians uh, a Jesus cult for the first 200 years, 300 years of its existence. It was called a Jesus cult that existed uh, embedded in Judaism. And indeed, it was at the very beginning. Uh, these these people were a cult. But of course, 2,000 years later, uh, the cult has been standardized and a lot of different groups have broken away from it. We we look at American history. My my favorite example is when we read history books. It tells us about the Pilgrims coming to New England, and we see the they're always depicted as these far-seeing people who wanted to build a shining city on a hill or something like that. We forget um, they were kicked out of where they were because they were a cult. They were called separatists, and they came over here to find a place for their cult, just like Jim Jones went down to Guiana to build a shining city on a hill, in his words. Um, and the pilgrims came here to do the same thing. And as soon as they built that shining city and had cities like Boston and other places like it, what did they do? They started kicking out anybody who didn't agree with their own cultic theology. They kicked out the Quakers. They kicked out the Shakers. They persecuted women in the famous Salem witch trials, women who didn't fit the mold of that particular cultic idea of Puritanism. And here was Cotton Mather, who was one of the leaders of the, the cult, one of the foremost Christian preachers in New England. He went to the witch trials, and he sat there and didn't say a thing. He just watched it happen as these innocent women were uh, first persecuted and then later sometimes died horrible deaths or were whipped or beaten. And uh, it was all because they had the Puritans had established this cult and uh and they didn't want anybody you know associated with it who wasn't there and the early puritans of new england did the very same thing that so many cultic leaders did to their followers they just persecuted them beat them treated them horribly and uh most of their stories or many of their stories are written in the book american cults that's for sure when you talk about cults i mean the first thing that comes to mind like you say is people that cut themselves off from their family and, and, yeah. and friends to be, to, to be involved in this because that's the only, you know, and it makes sense because if it's making you feel good and you get involved with it, you want to be with them more and more. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. by the time you're sucked in, it's too late. Yeah. 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 You hit, you hit the nail right on the head when you said at the beginning, it makes you feel good. People yeah. wouldn't stay with a cult if they didn't have an initial experience that was some, somewhat at least positive. The cult supplies a need. And if it were to end there, that would be fine. The problem is that cults are usually, or they're almost always exposed by their leadership. 
Um, and often the leadership starts off just great. Take well, we've been talking a little about Jim Jones. So just just take him as as an example. Uh, he was a, a mainline Methodist preacher from Indiana, uh, and eventually uh, he was, uh, uh, you know, called called to be the pastor of this church, and he got involved with the Assemblies of God. Uh, the Assemblies of God are now a, a bona fide. Christian religion, a very reputable group. But uh, even they looked at what he was doing, and pretty soon they excommunicated him. He was part of what he called the latter rain movement. And step by step by step, he went from being a, a typical um, main, mainstream type preacher to a cult leader. Uh, it, it You could almost see it happening when he went to New York. Um, Father Divine was his starting his own group, which is um, the uh, the peace movement, peace mission. And um, at the time, his group was considered a cult. Now it's a lot of historians look upon it as being part of the early civil rights movement. But his group was considered a cult. However, when Jim Jones was talking to Father Divine after they can, he, he was trying to get advice on how to run this burgeoning group that was around him. So he said to Father Divine, I have one more trouble you can help me with. And Father Divine said, what is that? And he said, well, uh, some of the women in my congregation are um, registering or make, making me think perhaps improper thoughts. What do I do? And Father Divine said, well, these thoughts have got to be brought to the surface and acted upon so you can then begin to deal with them. Wow. Jim Jones went and did exactly that. And you can just see in his story, step by step by step, starting off a perfectly normal, perfectly mainstream type guy until eventually um, there were so many complaints about him and, and there were so many investigations. He took his group and went down to Guyana. And down there, they were going to build a city on a hill, a shining city on a hill, just like the pilgrims did. But down there in Ghana, it was just terrible. And, and of course, freed from the, the wraps of a government, which was looking over his shoulder, he got away with all kinds of things down there. And children were working inhuman hours. And um, eventually, when word got out to Representative, uh, I think it was Leo Ryan, I think his name was, right. who um, decided that uh, he was going to go down and check it out because so many of his constituents were saying, we've lost touch with our family. They're down in Guyana someplace. And so he went down and what he found just absolutely appalled him. And Jones knew that the, the jig was up. And so he, uh, he slaughtered the whole party. Some of them got away and into the, into the desert, I mean, into the wilderness there in the, in the jungle, but he slaughtered the rest of them. And then knowing what was going to happen, that we was going to get out. That was where he convinced his crowd. They had already had practice doing this. And he convinced them all to, well, the proper term is drink the Kool-Aid. It, it wasn't really Kool-Aid, but it was laced, laced with cyanide. And then uh, so many people committed suicide. And what the heartbreaking thing is, the, the group that went down there and discovered all the bodies lying there on the, uh, in, in the compound itself, to see all these young children whose parents actually murdered their own children and then took their own lives. And they did it because they thought that God was on their side. They had been so brainwashed by this charismatic preacher who became narcissistic and then went on to become an actual psychopath. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible story. And all because of the, the power of how cults can work when they have that leadership who really craves power and when they have people who want a simple way to solve the problems of their life and they're just saying i don't want to figure it out i can't figure it out it's too complicated just tell me what to do and how to do it and i'll be happy and so they accept it um, oh it's a tragedy it's just a real tragedy it is a tragedy and even in today's society and i don't want to wag fingers at people in the, the political climate that's that's been for the last mm. what eight years that's cult. I mean, that can be contributed thought as, as cultish as well. I mean, yeah. Well, a lot of a lot of people are referring. I mean, I talk about this in the book to yeah. some of these organizations that were down there uh, in on January sixth, and uh, a lot of people are referring to them as as cults. Mm -hmm. 
uh, a lot of them are white nationalist groups. Uh, mm -hmm. We we saw we we see it happening over and over again. We we think uh, the Ku Klux Klan is dead. That was mm -hmm. one of the biggest one of the biggest and most effective cults that America yeah. has ever seen. And now some of these white nationalist groups are doing the same thing. Um, it used to be in church. I remember when, when Jerry Falwell launched his moral majority, he said, we have to get people saved, we have to get them baptized, and then we have to get them registered to vote. And now, the latest ones, some of these evangelical preachers have taken it even farther. We got to get people to hold their Bibles in one hand and their loaded guns in the other, you know, and that's just pure um, cult-like stuff. And yeah. so much of it is done in the name of God. Oh, what a what a terrible travesty that is! But it's 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 happening, and it's very real. And uh, I I I certainly don't know what the answer is, but kind of feeling I can't do much, but I can at least write about it, try to bring it up into oh, the surface. It just boggles my mind that, like I said, the last eight years, you know, as you're watching all as, as we're watching all this unfold, that people in the United States, because, you know, everybody's smart. I mean, I'm going to say, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're an intelligent bunch. That's mm -hmm. why we're over the top in the world and all this. And to see this happening and people getting yeah. sucked in, it's just, it's just bombing yeah. the mind. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. You know, one of the hallmarks of a cult is, is not bringing people together. They bring people together within the cult, sure. but then it's us against them and it's division. And so many of the people in the cult, uh, won't even listen to anybody who's not in the cult. And we find that now people on both the left and the right, they'll listen to their own news uh, and only their own news because that's all the information they want to hear. So a lot of them don't even know uh, that there's another story. Uh -huh. And uh, that's, that's pure cultic metho uh, methodology. That's the yeah. methods that cult use to get you to separate, to divide us against them, uh, God is on our side, all that kind of thing. Terrible thing. Now, with your book and writing this, how hard was it to do the research on this? And were you able to interview people that were in cults yeah, or people that had yeah. left or how that worked? Yeah, that was probably the saddest part of it. Uh, I contacted and, and talked to a lot of people whose names I disguised in the book for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I talked to a lot of people and heard some just just terrible stories. Um, many of them is who, who didn't even join the cult. They were born into the cult. Their mother and dad joined the cult. And uh, a lot of these cults began to flourish during the 60s. That's when you saw people like Manson and all the rest of them in their 70s. And uh, a lot of them flourished during that time when I was, when I was young. And when I first began ministry, I would have... Um, Oh, local cults who during the summer would be living in the woods around the little town where we lived. And sometimes I had to go in there and uh, and and pull my youth group kids out of that environment because they were they were kind of caught in it. They were absolutely convinced that so and so was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ and he's gonna solve my life. I even had a gun pulled on me at one time, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um I I did get I did get shot at once. Uh, not, I, I don't know if it was cultic activity, but uh, it was just a, 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 a terrible thing. And, and a lot of these people in the 60s and the 70s um, belonged to these cults. Some of them belonged to communes that were nothing wrong with them. Sure. They, didn't grow, they didn't grow into cults, but a lot of them went to these different communes. But a few of them did become cults. Uh, Manson, of course, is only the, the one idea that one that sticks in my mind first of all a lot of them did become cults and now they're uh the people who join that culture in some cases the grandparents of uh, some kids nowadays you know who uh who were actually born into a cult and had to get their own way out um you find uh in in the uh, latter-day saints um, there were a number of cults that split off from the Latter-day Saints. And that doesn't say anything bad about the Latter-day Saints because a lot of cults have split off a lot of religions. But some of these cults, um, back in the old days especially, they were just um, brutal. And uh, some of them, when uh, the United States government wouldn't recognize Utah as a state until they gave up their doctrine of plural wives, right. um, 
a lot of cults broke off from the Mormon church and said, no, we're going to practice in, in different ways. And so a man would take his four or five wives and, and go off and their kids were born into that idea and they didn't know anything else. They weren't allowed to know anything else. So that's what they grew up with. When that happens, and when I had to interview people who were in those kinds of situations, some of them, even my age, remembering back to what it was like, even after 40, 50, 60 years, they would remember and tears would come to their eyes. And and some sometimes they would, hadn't talked about it with anybody for all this time because they, they felt ashamed of themselves. They felt something was wrong with them. And that's another great thing that cults do. They can make you feel like it's somehow your fault, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, if you're having troubles. Um, if, if you ever, any, anybody ever has a friend who says, I'm doing this, or I'm telling you this for your own good, you know, you, yeah. know, you know, the kind of pressure that can go on and the kind of pressure that people can be under. So, yeah, I did interview a lot of people. And of course, I had done a lot of uh, historical research throughout my life. So a lot of it was just getting it all down on paper, but um, it it was it was sad in a lot of ways. Very very few times, and I still um, I have a contact page uh, on, on on my website jimwillis.net, and uh, after I've been on a couple of these shows talking about American cults, I would get uh, contact people writing to me who just wanted to tell me their story. They didn't even want me to respond. They just wanted to tell me their story. They needed to get it out. And sometimes it's heartbreaking, just heartbreaking. When you think about the cults in the United States, which one do you think was pro probably the worst? Like, like, like the Rash Davidians or which one? Oh, it's hard. It's hard to tell because some of the ones that were the worst are now bona fide religion or bona fide establishments. I think probably the ones that were hardest to write about, uh, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians was certainly one of them because that was a tragedy. Um, David Koresh was uh, a Seventh-day Adventist. Now, Seventh-day Adventism itself was once called a cult. Now it's a bona fide religion right up there with any Christian Protestant mm -hmm. religion. But uh, David Koresh uh, was too extreme. And so his name was Vernon Howell. Um, he was... Uh, uh, <laughs> he had a lot of power. I'll tell you, when in, in his group, uh, he was absolutely convinced that the end was coming. Um, he... He read that, uh, you know, you're supposed to, you know, go out, go forth and multiply. Well, no one in the group was permitted to multiply except him. And he had 20 wives. But um, Koresh was convinced that he was the Messiah. And these women were absolutely somehow brainwashed, convinced that they were, in effect, having a, a, a baby by the Messiah, just like Mary was supposed to have a, a baby by God, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, he began, uh, he, when he was so convinced that the apocalypse was coming, he began to work on his book, on the, uh, the book of Revelation, the final book of the, uh, old, the, of the New Testament in the Bible, which is a, a real apocalyptic literature. I mean, there's lights in the sky and angels coming down and noises and dragons and, and all this kind of stuff. The end was going to come with a rush. So what he had to do, he decided, was to start start stockpiling weapons. And he began to really uh, develop a great horde that they were going to use to protect themselves when the end came. Uh, um, ATF decided that they had to serve some warrants with all these illegal weapons coming in and out and evidence of them there. So when the ATF showed up, uh, four of their agents were killed by the people within the compound. So it was given over to the FBI and the FBI surrounded the compound and 51 days around that little compound in, in Waco. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, though, just to show how this, we need to know how to operate with this. It, it's my personal opinion that the FBI was absolutely right and that they had to shut this thing down, but they went about it exactly in the wrong way. What they did was surround this compound and they bombarded it with loud speakers, rock music coming 24 hours a day and, and lights in the sky and helicopters flying over. 
Well, this was the day when people didn't have cell phones. The people within the compound, they didn't know that they were. this was a unique thing to Waco, Texas. They thought that this might have been going on all over the world. They didn't know the difference. And what the FBI did, basically, was to recreate exactly the very same kind of loud, noisy, confusing environment that David Koresh said was going to happen when the world came right, to an end. Right, right, right. So these people were convinced the world is coming to an end. And eventually when they decided, to, and the FBI decided to storm the compound, nobody still knows how it happened. Maybe one of the smoke bombs hit something. Maybe the people set it off themselves. We don't know, but there's a great fire started. And all of those people were killed. Just a, another another tragedy that happened not only because of a cult leader who was able to establish a mm -hmm. following and gradually step by step get into this, but also by our ignorance of cults, we didn't handle the situation well at all. Right. And uh, it was just a, a another terrible tragedy. So I guess probably because I lived through that one and followed it so closely, that was probably one of the roughest ones to 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 write about. Now, cults don't have to be that big, you know, like the Branch Davidians. Oh. It, could, it, it could be a small thing, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, historically, there were many of these groups that were. Um, I'm thinking, for instance, a, a old, I don't know, the group like uh, the group called the Anthill Kids. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Roque Therilt and the Anthill Kids uh, he he wanted to grow his flock, so what he did, he fathered twenty kids by nine different women. Well, that's one way to make your group grow, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wanted to discipline them, and it, it just it was a real pathological discipline. It was really torture. It wasn't discipline. I mean, every, everything from cutting off body parts and all this kind of wow. stuff. And and it was just a small group that never really would have amounted to anything except. One person managed to get out and 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 alert the world to what was going on. And then she was so bereft without her group, she actually went back and was there back in the cult when the cult was finally discovered. It was just a small group, but it had an effect on so many, so many people. Uh, what a what a terrible, terrible situation. It was. And uh, of course, nowadays, it can be even worse because these people might not even know each other. But because of the, the dark web, uh, a lot in the, the deep web and the dark web, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people have founded, find themselves involved in cultic stuff without ever meeting face to face anybody else in their group. They just talk to them on the computer. Mm -hmm. And and um, because, you know, there are so many people who are feeling lost. And so they just sit there in their house and that makes them more lost. And they may sit there in a darkened basement or bedroom or something and just be involved in all of this stuff. And cults really thrive on conspiracy theory. And they really thrive on telling the future. The world is about to come to an end. Well, unfortunately, our news programs today like to thrive uh, and make make money themselves. And how do they do that? They make you afraid. Uh, you don't want to miss anything. And then how do they make you afraid? Well, they start talking about conspiracy theories and they start talking about how terrible things are and everything's going to come to an end. That's how they get you. They make you afraid. And then they say, don't worry, there's a number of us who see it coming. And when the end comes, we'll be able to make it. And um, so I think probably the, uh, I like to call it the cult of the internet is probably one of the biggest cults in the country nowadays, but it's in so many little cells here and there and everywhere that, uh, it's hard to tell. Um, I, I, I find it fascinating that, uh, the big news over the last couple of days about, uh, um, a, a major broadcaster being, uh, fired from, you know, major network, the biggest broadcaster in the country, uh, fired from a ma major network. And why? Because he was using his platform and the radio, the radio, the television station was using their platform to uh, promote these conspiracy theories. Uh -huh. Now, maybe there's some truth in some of this. I don't know. But the point is that that's how news works. We want to make you afraid. Yeah. And then one thing leads to another. Absolutely. For people that, you know, 
like you say, the ones that are home alone looking at their computers and all this, and, and they get involved in this stuff. What are signs that the, the family and others can look for? Oh, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, when someone becomes more and more um, disjointed, when they when they uh, more and more uh, well, less and less attached, let's say that mm -hmm. they seem to live in a world of their own. Um, that can be a sign of, of course, loneliness, and it can be a sign of, you know, something is something is wrong. But then, when a person starts uh, saying things that may not, you wonder, wait a minute, where where did, where did he or she get that? You know, mm -hmm. um, you have to listen to what they're saying, and it's important to be there at the beginning when this is happening, because as we've seen, step by step, uh, that's how cults get you, mm -hmm. um, and. When a person begins to go to start talking about some of these crazy theories that you say, wait a minute, you never talked about this before. Mm -hmm. And when a person becomes more and more disattached from friends and community, when they're spending more and more time alone or when they're disappearing off to meetings, they'll just say, or something like that, you have to be careful of that. And then you say, well, what do you do? Well, uh, I, w I wish there was an answer. I wish there was an easy bumper sticker answer that said, say this, do this, and you can win them back from the cult. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work. The only, the only thing that really works, uh, and in my experience, I've seen a lot of, um, oh, cult busting stuff or deprogrammers or something like that with, that use violent methods and kidnapping and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't work. The only thing you can do is love them to death. You've got to be there. You've got to reach out in love. And you've got to be understanding. And you can't let them get under your skin when they'll try to, you know, say, well, don't you understand? Are you too stupid to understand what I can see and all my friends say and you can't see it? You know, it's it's hard. Um, I, I, being a minister, I have to fall back on, on a, a Bible verse. You know, we had talked about fear being the, the key to cults. And there's a wonderful Bible verse in in First John that says, "Perfect love casts out fear." Uh, the only way you can triumph over fear is through love. The only trouble is that in this divisive world, we're seeing a whole lot more hate than love, and quite frankly, it scares me to death. It really does. It does. Uh, I I. We're so far involved in it right now. It's been gradually building. Um, these cults have been mixing with uh, political movements, which have been mixing with religious movements, which have been mixing with economic movements. And now some of them are so intertangled, you just can't pull them apart. I have uh, pastor friends from various states, and I have some uh, friends who are head, heads of their synagogue in various states. I was just talking to one, uh, the president of his synagogue down in Texas, and uh, I was telling him over, over the, we, we, a bunch of us from college get together and talk about stuff. And I was talking about the book, and I was talking about how these cults are starting to insinuate themselves. He said, in my synagogue, he said, I've got what they call the panic button. I push the button. And if I don't let up on it within a couple of seconds, uh, I'm going to have SWAT team here in a minute. Because he said so many of our synagogues, like so many of the churches, mm -hmm. they have been um, victimized and by these people who are radical cult members. And um, unfortunately, it's such a fact of life in America today. Yes. And here I was saying about how um, <laughs> news broadcasters want to get you afraid <laughs> i'm doing the same thing well, I mean, oh i it's terrible it's like this is to, is to get the message out i mean that, well that, i hope so yeah people. i hope so i, I hope so in, i got in this to help people just like when i became a journalist that was my goal wasn't there yeah. that nobel prize or, or any writing prize it was so if, if a story i wrote helped at least one person out yeah. there i was happy yeah, and, and that's the other side of the internet. You're on the other side. You're doing important work because you're bringing these subjects out to people who would never hear about them otherwise. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can use the same methodology that the cults use, but you can use it for good and not bad. And that's, that's what you're doing. So it, it's, it's important. It really is. It's important work. Um, 
another question I was thinking about is, why is it it's the highly intelligent? This is what gets me too. It's the really highly intelligent people that get sucked into yeah. this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, some of the most intelligent uh, are recognized by the cult, and they use that intelligence, um, and so they become leaders. And that's right. how really you know have cults have a a pyramid type thing, the top leader, but then he appoints around him people that agree with him. Uh, political leaders do the same thing. You know, they use their trusted people around them. And then those people have trusted people. And and uh, the more intelligent you are, the more you can use this. And, of course, y- you can start to see the power begin to grow. And you can say, well, I kind of kind of like this. I, I didn't have any, uh, any, you know, power out there in the world. But here in this group, people listen to me. Uh, I've got some, you know, uh, important stuff you know going on in my life right now and then of course when you get involved it's really hard it's just kind of like gambling you know you you gamble and you start to lose money so you bet more to try to win back the money you lost and then you lost more it's just like that with cults you get so much invested in these cults so much time so much money so much effort and uh, pretty soon you say i if I were to turn my back on this cult right now, I would be turning my back on something that I put so much into. And now if I pull away from it, what am I going to have? Just a lot of loss, nothing. And then intelligent, uh, intelligence is no, uh, no barrier. And matter of fact, sometimes the more intelligent a person is, the more susceptible they are, especially if it's a, 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 a group that, brings in science to their group or, or something like that. Um, and it, it doesn't help any that so much in our, in our society just looks down their noses at this so much. One of the things that really uh, surprised me um, being a, a staunch uh, believer that we are not alone in the universe. One of the things that really surprised me was um, how many cults could take that, take that belief that we are not alone in the universe and turn it into uh, something that was much more evil. Um, uh, the idea of of you know saying, well, I'm not really a human. I'm really alien, or right. I was attracted by an alien, or something like that. And you know, and so you get a, a person who's um, really is convinced that you know there may be a life out there in the universe and maybe some of it is uh, 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 you know uh, latched onto us maybe these ufo sightings are real but then what does the government do the government decides to cover it up uh, cults thrive in darkness and so an intelligent person will be able to say, wait a minute, the government told us there was nothing at Area 51, and then they said there was nothing to it. They closed the books, and then 25 years later, Project Blue Book surfaces, and we say, wait, all along they were lying to us. Right. Well, it's only natural then that you're going to want to join some group that said says, I know the truth. So here they can take even a perfectly good bona fide idea and it's easy to do that and turn it into something just as these cults split off from christianity so cults can split off from um, uh, groups that want to know more about what's going on out there in the universe it doesn't help any either that nowadays we have these talking head everybody from sciences scientists to religious leaders to everything else they have all of these uh, um, ideas and everything else and then they come on, and rather than criticize by using facts to back them up, because they don't sometimes don't have the facts, uh-huh. they start attacking a person's character instead. That just leads to more division, more hate, and uh, it 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 really offends me when I hear start to hear somebody um, just ridiculing the idea of. Uh, for instance, earlier civilizations or life out there in the universe or something, it offends me when they ridicule it, not with facts, but saying, what do you know? You know, all you are is a a, a pseudoscientist or something like that. You're just a writer. What do you know? Well, that offends me. And, And if I wasn't careful, I could probably be drawn into some of these groups that say, well, you know, let's fight back, you know, and let's, let's build this stuff up. And, then it turns into a power trip and another cult starts all over again. Absolutely. absolutely. Sad thing. Sad thing. While you were writing the book <clears throat> and, and you were interviewing people for, for the book, 
Did any of the cults contact you? Because I would think they would be on the defense. Not while I was writing it, but afterwards, a few did. <laughs> I've had my, I've had a target on my back in some cases. Uh, thank goodness nobody knows who really where I am. <laughs> but uh, they can reach me through the internet. They can reach me through Facebook. They can reach me through my contact, my social media, and uh, I've had some real, real wild ones. Some of them are, some of them are frankly a little scary. But imagine. that's that's what happens, I guess. I can imagine. Now, when we talk about again going back to cults, you can kind of see, like you're saying, you know, at some point, whatever they're doing switches in, mm -hmm. in, in a more cult-like behavior, mm -hmm. and you can kind of see that happening with stuff that's going on right now. You know, yeah, that, where yeah. people are starting to get more involved in these cults without realizing they're in there. I mean, sure, it's just. Sure. Why it, is, is it because uh, we're at a point in our lives now as as a society that people need more more from their lives and that's why they're getting involved with these things? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I I really do. And and it's 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 a shame. I've seen families divided up and bitter um of you know Thanksgiving dinners turn into a hate and uh it's it's just sad. That's all. Well, and I agree with you. It's hard. It's hard if you see something like that and you're trying to help somebody and say, look, this is the truth of what's happening. And mm -hmm. they don't want to hear it because because they're going to believe what they're going to believe no, no yeah. matter what. And that's that's what makes it so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really does make it difficult. Um, and I've come to the conclusion that most people, um, when it comes to stuff like this or religion or culture or anything like that, most people already decide what they believe, and then they go to muster facts to booster, to bolster up what they believe, rather than follow the facts to try to determine what they believe. And a lot of people say, I don't care. I'm just going to ignore it. You know, mm -hmm. same thing is happening politically nowadays. Let's, let's mm -hmm. face it. You know, I remember the, the good, old, I, I guess we're just about out of time, but I remember the, the good old days when, uh, uh, when I was living up in Massachusetts and uh, uh, Tip O'Neill was our, uh, uh, speaker of the house from message a flaming liberal you know really really out there on the left and uh, then he came and then of course ronald reagan came to town a conservative from california and uh, tip and ronald reagan they they couldn't disagree more on politics they really couldn't but at the end of the day they could put it all to the side stick kick back pour a beer, put up their feet on the table and on the desk and start selling Irish stories to each other. You know, they, they respected each other as individuals, as people, as men, even though they didn't agree on anything. Nowadays, that's becoming very, very hard to find. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One last question. Okay. You're on the strip in Las Vegas. You've, and then there's, and then there's you and there's about like three or four other guys selling, try, trying to sell um, similar books to yours. How do you draw people in to read your book? Wow. Uh, I've never been asked that question. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly don't know. Uh, I, I guess because I have decided that the ripe old age of 77, uh, I will probably never be famous. And if I'm not famous, I mean, if I ever do get famous, I hope nobody knows me. <laughs> that, that's ironic, of course. Uh, and I just, my job now, I guess, I just feel like I just got to put it out there. And I have a great belief in uh, something greater than ourselves, that that the consciousness, the source that is running this universe. And mm -hmm. if a person needs it, they will be drawn to it. And I just, I just rather trust that rather than try to sell it myself. Absolutely. Well, what's next for you? I'm working on a book right now uh, on uh, near-death experiences, cool. and that uh, that'll be published by uh, uh, Visible Ink Press, and uh, probably it'll be like next spring, maybe a year from now before it comes out. Because if I get it to them in the fall, it takes them that long to finish the book. Okay. Uh, within a couple of weeks, uh, certainly by the first of May, it was sort of first part of May. I'm going to have a book come out, which is kind of a spiritual um, autobiography for me. It's called Cosmo and Me, mm -hmm. and uh, a seeker's journey from religion to spirituality. And it's being published by Uncle Bear Publishing, and it should be up on Amazon within, uh, oh, within a week or so, I would think. Uh, matter of fact, I think the manuscript was just sent in uh, Monday, so it won't, it won't be too long. 
and uh, I've I'm doing I've done audiobooks for those, and that's something else I had to learn how to how to do an audiobook. And uh, so when you put it all together, it's it's um, oh, it's keeping me busy, keeping me off the streets. That's for sure. It sounds like it. But that next book you have that the Cosmo one you're talking about mm-hmm. sounds interesting, and then the one that you know that focuses on you, I think that would be fascinating to read as well. Well, it's yeah, it's kind of the story of my life, but it's not just you know I did this and then I did that. Right. It's a, it's a story of the last seven decades that I've lived through in American history. I was born in 46, so the decade of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and uh, and on. Each one of them has been different. Um, and, and so when you're a spiritual seeker within that decade, you have to go about it a different way. Um, mm-hmm. People looked for, uh, we're on a spiritual quest, I call it quest for the Holy Grail. Um, they did it differently in the 50s than they did in the 90s, or then they're, that, that they are doing now because there were cultural influences at play. And that's what the book is really all about. So that I, it's not really an autobiography, although I suppose it is that, an autobiography memoir, but it's really kind of a, a history lesson. How do you search for truth and ultimate meaning? And how do you find spirit within all these different cultures that have flourished during the last seven decades of American history? If anybody wants to, you know, to look into it, uh, we'll be plastering it all over the front of the webpage, jimwillis.net. Uh, the webpage has all my books on it, and uh, there's 20 of them right now, I guess, and all the reviews, both good and bad, and uh, a lot of, there's a contact page. I'd love to hear from you, um, preferably uh, after American Cults came out, preferably a nice contact would be good <laughs> rather than rather than some of the other ones that I've been getting. But um, uh, at any rate, uh, it's it's there, jimwillis.net. And it, it is also links there to take you to my Facebook page and my YouTube page. We're bringing out YouTubes all the time on this kind of stuff. We have YouTubes on everything from dowsing to the birth of major world religions and everything else. Fantastic. Jim, thank you so much for coming on. I so appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Get you back on with some of your other books and anytime, anytime. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your day and uh, evening, rather. Thank you. Thank uh, you. uh, And uh, yeah, again, thank you so much. Okay, we'll be in touch. I'm sure. Thank you so much. Have a great one. All right. I love stuff like that. I, I love looking into cults. I mean, like I said, I, I was a crime court reporter, so I ran into stuff like that when, when I was on the beat. So it's interesting for me to have someone like Jim on. Tomorrow, Pamela Nats, Pamela Nats is a pre-recorded interview that I did. She's going to be with us talking about her paranormal experiences. And boy, does she have some interesting uh, experiences with UFOs that uh, and aliens that, that, that she has a story to tell. And I think you guys might have saw the teaser that I put out when I put this uh, thing over on the Patreon. So she'll be with us at 6.30 p.m. Pacific tomorrow. It'll be, a pre- like I said, oh, see, there is a blinked out. See, the internet's doing weird things again. Back to where Mario goes. Down. Um, but uh, she'll, be, she'll, she'll be in the pre-recorded tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Okay. Uh, again, I want to thank my guest tonight. And if, uh, if you guys like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, Share it with five of your enemies. Again, we're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. We're just trying to get the word out. And if you did like it and you're over watching from Facebook, please be sure to hit that follow button and give us a thumbs up, a heart, a smiley, or, or whatever you can do to keep us up in that algorithm. Same thing with YouTube. Be sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't done so already. I'd appreciate it. Um, it's one of those days. Uh, I, I would really appreciate it. And uh, again, more smileys and hearts and all that good stuff because that puts us up, up in the algorithm. I'm going to start making some changes to the YouTube page. I think you guys are going to like, and uh, it's going to be a lot easier to find stuff. Like I say, I like to vary my topics. There's 581 videos over, over at YouTube. So I'm going to try and put them under categories. So you guys can just go in if you're looking for cryptids. Boom, you can go to a cryptid file. Or you can go to a ghost file to look for the ghost stories or the true crime stuff. Boom, like this. You know, that'll have its own file. You guys have to click. You don't have to go searching through a million videos to, to, to find the stuff. So I think that's going to work out a lot better. Okay, well, I'm going to call it, call it a day. And I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great day. Oh, and here's his contact information before I forget. That is website, jimwillis.net. 
And he does have 20 books out, so I had to, like, pick and choose today. So you've got American Cults, which is what we discussed today. You've got Supernatural Gods, Ancient Gods. The Quantum Acacia Field. Excuse me. And Lost Civilizations. And of course, you can get those at his website and Amazon. And remember, he's got a lot more books. A lot more books. All right, guys. I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great evening.